Um, the, the title of this session is Business Resilience, um, How to Keep the Lights On. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Keith Marlowe. I head up Centaur's Risk Management Division. Um, we provide um, consultancy services primarily in health and safety and business continuity um, to our clients. And we also offer a digital risk management solution in partnership with BCOM. Um, and that leads nicely on to me introducing you to Steve Williams. Morning, Steve. Morning, Keith. Um, Steve is the owner and managing director of BCOM. For those of you who don't know, BCOM stands for Business Continuity and Risk Management. Um, Steve has developed his sort of specialist area in business continuity. He's um, helped numerous clients develop their business continuity plans and incident response arrangements. So he's very well placed to, uh, to speak on this subject. A um, Couple of items of housekeeping. We, we've scheduled 45 minutes for the webinar um, to include quest, uh, the, any questions you may have. We, we, we should definitely be able to, to, to stick to that timing. Um, if, if you do have questions, please put them in the Q&A box and we'll deal with those at the end. Now, before we um, get into the main agenda for the webinar, we thought it would be useful to, to run through a, a short case study, um, which concerns two rival corporations. This was a, a sort of live event, a, a, a real event that occurred back in the early 2000s. Um, and it involved, as I say, these two very large rival businesses. Um, so, in, uh, in March 2000 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, at a Philips electronic chip factory, um, there was a, an electronic storm which caused um, a surge in the electrical supply that then resulted in a fire in the production plant. Now the fire was extinguished pretty quickly by the sprinklers, um, but the electronic chips that were in production at the time were destroyed. And because of smoke and smoke, um, making its way through sterile areas of the premises. Um, millions of chips that were already in stock, ready to be dispatched, were also destroyed. Um, now, at that time, Philips did a bit of an assessment, um, and they reckoned that the production would be back up and running and resume, resume to normal levels within a week. So over in Northern Europe, we have two very large rival mobile phone manufacturers, um, Ericsson and Nokia. Um, and they collectively accounted for about 40% of the revenue um, of, of the turnover of the, the factory in Albuquerque. Um, Ericsson, um, who were the largest uh, Swedish company at the time, um, they had decided to go down a route of uh, um, single sourcing. This was for efficiency purposes. Um, so um, they they were the they were completely reliant on the factory in Albuquerque. Um, when they were told by Philips that they thought production would be up and running in a week, they weren't too concerned and they decided to do nothing. Um, now, back in Albuquerque, Philips this Philips. Um, having assessed the damage a bit more, decided actually that was um, a slightly optimistic view. Um, and, it, and it transpired that in the end, they were, had to shut the factory for three weeks. 
Um, and in the end, they were only able to achieve 50% of, of production volumes within the first six months. Now, being the sole supplier to Ericsson, this left Ericsson with a massive shortage in chips that they were hoping to put into their mobile phone handsets. Now, Nokia, who uh, in Finland, decided to take a very different approach. In, in the 1990s, they'd experienced issues with the supply of components. So they had adopted a, a dual supply minimum policy. So they're always going to dual source. Um, and they'd also appointed a supply chain troubleshooter whose, whose role was to identify issues and deal with them quickly. Now, their management system had already identified that there was an issue with Philips, even before that they had the call from Philips about the fire. But as soon as they heard, they put together a technical team. They contacted rival manufacturers that they were in, in, um, in being supplied or could be supplied by. They reworked some of their handsets and the chips to allow those manufacturers to make the chips. And they also put pressure on Philips to divert their capacity to some other factories in, in Europe. So what was the outcome of all that? Well, um, Ericsson um, announced in 2001 that the, the loss of production, so I'm just gonna just make sure I get my figures right. Um, the loss of production um, in Albuquerque, as a result of Albuquerque, had cost them $400 million. Um, and at the end of that financial year, also their share price dropped 14%. So there was a bit of a double whammy at that time. And at the end of that financial year, the mobile division of Ericsson had lost $1.7 billion, partly a result of the fire, partly there were some other factors, but it was a huge, it was a huge loss. And, if, and ultimately in 2004, Ericsson pulled out of handset manufacturer altogether. Um, Nokia, they carried on as normal. Production was virtually unaffected, um, and, and, and that was just purely as a result of proactive risk management and, and good planning. I think it's a, it's a very, it's, it's an, I, it's, it just beggars belief that a company the size of Ericsson could be so unprepared for a, for a, for a disruption of that type within their supply chain. Okay, so um, I think before I speak to Steve, we're gonna have a poll. Um, and, and it's really just to get a sense of the current level of business continuity planning that, that you, you, you currently employ. So um, the question is, uh, who has a BCP? There should be a, a pop-up screen if you can answer that honestly, um, and then we'll send you results. Okay, so uh, Keith, can you see the results or is it just me that can see them? No, just you. Yeah, so um, we've got 55% uh, of, of attendees have got BCPs in place, 27% um, no, and 18% unsure. Right, so. okay. So just over half have a BCP, great, okay. So Steve, I think the first question, oh, there we go, we've got the results come up on the screen now, that's great, perfect. Okay, Steve, so based on your experience, what is business continuity? So 
Business continuity is, is a risk management discipline that evolved from uh, disaster recovery, uh, which itself was something that was started by the insurance industry. But business continuity is quite simply this. It is an organization's uh, ability to continue supplying its products and services, no matter what level of disruption it experiences. So, you know, in, in simple terms, an organization generates its income and profit by delivering its products and services to its customers, and it utilizes its assets and resources to deliver those products and services, whether that's people, whether that is IT infrastructure, whether that's a production line, supply chain, IP, brand, all of those things are assets that are all used together. And it's the loss of or the loss of use of those assets and resources that causes disruption to an organization. So, so BC is about understanding all of those relationships um, and being able to reinstate business functionality before the organization is irreparably damaged. And, and that's something that is called tolerance for disruption or, or, or the, the BC part is before the business reaches it's maximum tolerable period of disruption. Customers gone, run out of money, brand damaged, the, the organization is, is finished. So that, that, that's what business continuity is in very simple terms, Keith. So, so I, you mentioned the term disaster recovery in, your, in, in that. Um, so what's the difference between BC and disaster recovery? Yeah, and there's a, there's these... these these two are used interchangeably, but disaster recovery is something you do once a major event has happened. So typically the business has been, had a major fire, a major outage, uh, a disaster. Um, and okay, what do we do? Who do we need to, who do we need to go to for new machinery? It's a yeah, be contact list and the series of actions that you need to take. Um, it, is, it is in its essence, a reaction to a disaster okay so that's dr so the big difference between dr and business continuity is really this focus around um, the kind of the, the tolerance for disruption how long can we be down for before our organization is irreparably damaged you know or we've our customers start going elsewhere um, there's known as the tolerance for disruption the fact that that will be reached if assets and resources are unavailable to be used, that that creates the disruption. How can we reduce the likelihood of disruption in the first place? So how can we minimize risk to avoid us losing the ability to deliver our products and services? But if we do lose our products and services, how can we reinstate those quickly so it doesn't disrupt our ability to deliver our product. So, you know, the the example, the case study you gave is a great one. You know, Ericsson almost literally dealt with that that fire in Albuquerque as a disaster recovery incident. Nokia dealt with it straight away. So they knew what they needed to do to recover the loss of production of chips. So they got onto it and actually avoided the disaster. So they, they barely experienced. So it's dealing with those smaller disruptions that can then turn into the bigger disruption. 
But then the kind of the third component of um, of BC is if something does happen, that you have uh, an incident response that your organization can go through to um, coordinate its actions in a cohesive manner that creates certainty for the stakeholders. So, you know, human beings hate uncertainty. You know, and that's something we've all learned in the last sort of, three or four years. If you give us uncertainty, we want certainty. And if an organization presents uncertainty to its employees, its customers, its supply chain, then those in those groups will seek certainty elsewhere. And if customers seek certainty elsewhere, then you know the, you could lose those customers. Okay, so that's okay. kind of that's that's the big difference between the two. One is very proactive in its nature by minimizing a disaster. The other is reacting if the disaster has occurred. And and from what you're saying, obviously disaster recovery is very much event based, whereas BC is ideally aimed to respond to any disruption, however small. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, and that's a, that's, a, that's a very good point, Keith. You know, it's not about why you can't produce product. The issue is I can't produce product. How do I reinstate it? Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so obviously you talked about the the, the three the three elements you mentioned there. So it, you know, it could be viewed by some people as being something that potentially potentially a complicated process. I mean, is that is that a fair a sort of assumption? I, I I think I think I think it's a it's a very fair assumption. BC can developing business continuity often turns into a very complex process to the point where the organisation goes, oh, you know, we're just getting nowhere with this. Um, and unlike perhaps other areas of risk management, um, such as health and safety or environmental risk, where you you've actually kind of got like a statutory way of dealing with risk. Um, BC is different unless you're a BC professional and you've you've done the business continuity institute exams and you're familiar with that. Um, and 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 the, the kind of the, the 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 challenge there is that you know where do I begin? Um, and and what I generally find is uh, uh, there's, there's some key things that it gets complex. Firstly, businesses try and do too much in one go, so they try and do a BC for the whole organisation. Whereas you can actually break it down into component parts and do it in bite-sized chunks. So you might do, if you're a manufacturing business, you might do one BC on production, another BC on supply chain, another BC on, you know, IT and infrastructure. So to break it down into bite-sized chunks. Um, probably the the most important one though is the million-dollar question, the, the the tolerance for disruption. Yeah, you know, if we're unable to deliver our product or service tomorrow. How soon before we start losing our customers, we've run out of cash, the brand is irreparably damaged. Because if that doesn't sit at the heart of the BC, I, this isn't what we need to, to avoid happening, then your BC has no sense of direction. So yeah, yeah it, it is a complex process, but actually if you make it focused around tolerance for disruption, you know, having clear and from that, understanding what your business continuity uh, needs and requirements and objectives are and build a plan around that. Actually, it's, it's a process that can be gone through relatively quickly, particularly if you've got engagement from 
you know, all the different parts of the organisation. It's not just left to one individual to write a paper document. Yeah. I think that's quite interesting because a lot of clients who I've met up with um, and who've, who've said, yeah, I've got a business continuity plan, invariably it's been put together by one individual in yeah. the business. Um, I think that's quite a common thing. So, um, interesting. Okay, so let's have another poll. Um, you mentioned tolerance for disruption on a number of occasions. Obviously, it's a key concept within within business continuity um, and, and an essential part of the process. So, so can I ask everyone, there's two questions here. Um, do you know your tolerance for disruption? That's the first question. And secondly, is your BCP or your business continuity plan based on your tolerance for disruption? You can answer those questions. Okay, so that's, that's all the answers in. So, uh, interestingly, there in terms of organization tolerance for disruption uh, yeah. a third yes two-thirds no and, and and for me that's the that that is the it is the million dollar question and also the silver bullet for um continuity planning so there is a, yeah. there was another question there but i there don't was, seem yeah, to be sorry, able to sorry, I, I said them, i should have said them one at a time so the second question is is your bcp business continuity plan based on your tolerance for disruption based on the on the answer to the first question then there'll be a few no's in that yeah unfortunately keith i can't find that question so you'll just have to answer that one yourself so perhaps you okay. can stick your answers stick your answers in the q and a yeah, yeah 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 sorry about that guys um okay that's fine so um i suppose a lot of business will be faced with having to put together a business continuity plan, it actually is a good thing, really, um, even though it might seem daunting. Um, and that's simply for the purposes of insurance or accreditation or even a customer requiring to know what your contingency plans are if, if you're supplying them. Um, so what, what are the benefits of, of doing a business continuity plan? Well, I, I think it's probably the there's one thing we need to do, and, and that's maybe distinguish between a business continuity plan, which is a document, yeah. which is a piece of paper, and actually embracing kind of continuity and resilience planning as an organization. So the, if, if business continuity is seen not as something we need to do from a risk management perspective, but is seen as something that can actually deliver strategic advantage to us, then it begins to kind of throw up a whole host of other uh, benefits. Now, um, I, I've seen companies that have gone for um, sale or in one case management buyout, where actually the, the level of BC planning that they had done and the resilience of their business model by adopting a dual supplier policy across the board and, and a number of other features, they actually derived a better valuation for their business than if they hadn't had if they would have been a sole supplier organization because anyone looking at an organization from uh analyzing that business will go well 
you're reliant on five, five sole suppliers, any one of which could stop you delivering your product and service. Your business is less worth less than an organization that can take, that can take a hit on those suppliers um, and, and, and reap the benefit. So, so, you know, that, that's one, um, that's one benefit. Conversely, an organization that I work with who did that um, managed to avoid a major disruption by a, uh, the failure of a supplier because they'd already put a dual supplier strategy in place. And, and I might add that that failure of that supplier would not have been insurable. That would have been a multi-million pound loss to that organization uh, through loss of contracts and the like, because yeah. it would have taken them somewhere close to 20 weeks to replace a supplier. And that was way beyond their tolerance for disruption. So, 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 so you, you kind of get this, this, this kind of, it enhances the value of the business. It kind of, it deals with risk that actually you can't insure, but you know, it's, it's kind of what we might call a retained risk. Um, but it also, um, it also can allow the business to um, almost add value to its proposition. So a company that I was working with only this week, so they have a, a major, a large DC center. They're one of the largest suppliers of this product into the UK market. And we were looking at, okay, what happens if we lose this big DC center and the impact of that? And actually, as we talked through and we began to look at the potential options around program design, we worked out that they needed, they could actually create when they, when they replaced and upgraded another one of their locations, they could turn that into a secondary kind of DC center. Now for them, what that would mean that the big lever for them was that would allow them to attract more uh, product producers on an exclusive basis to work with them, which would give them even more leverage in their marketplace because they effectively would be able to offer a completely resilient distribution solution into the UK market. So, you know, that's all achieved through business continuity planning, but actually it enhances their overall proposition as an organization. Yeah. So that whole supply chain piece, supply chain competitiveness, and, and particularly now when so many, so many organizations are experiencing supply chain disruption, to have a reliable supplier um, and a resilient supplier has value unquestionably. Well, so apologies for the bone interruption there. That was, uh, that was my error. Um, so, so where, I mean, obviously, where, where, would, where would you say, Steve, is the best place to start with, with business continuity planning? Yeah. So uh, as I've mentioned before, the, 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 the place to start is what's the tolerance for disruption? Yeah. If we're unable to deliver our product and service tomorrow, how long is it? before our customers are going elsewhere. We are running out of cash and or we're running out of cash because cash might be the other driver and or our brand is irreparably damaged. Because without that, without that number, now that number may be, might be different for different product lines. So, you know, let's say you're dealing with B to C customers that will almost certainly have a lower tolerance for disruption than if you're dealing with uh, resellers or even OEMs. So you might have different tolerances for disruption, but what that does is it begins to allow you to understand, you know, against the turnover and profit margin and contribution for the business, what is important to us? What do we need to protect 
so that the business is in is not irreparably damaged and from that information that then allows you to shape the rest of the business continuity program because without that what what does the what, what is the what are the objectives of the bc yeah. so for that tolerance for disruption piece allows you to with a with, with something else called a business impact analysis not for today that BIA, sorry, the, the, the tolerance for disruption allows you to define your continuity objectives as an organization. And from there, decide the right strategies to, to achieve that and then put in place the necessary arrangements that achieve those objectives to avoid negate that hitting the tolerance for disruption. So yeah. that, that's, that, that's the place to start. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, if, if you go about it the right way, then it doesn't have to be a difficult process and you should actually get to the end. Yeah, particularly, particularly a, yeah. Yeah, particularly if you can get the right people involved in the organization. So, you know, the, 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 the BC planning process naturally needs every discipline because actually, you know, um, again, company that I worked with recently, we were, we were, we were talking about tolerance for disruption and this, this organization manufactures a product, but they also provide um, spare parts for the after sales. Yeah. And actually what we established was, you know, from, from a sales perspective, it was the sales team that said, but guys, you know, if we, have a, if we have a major issue, this is a new product, you know, we're building our brand, our priority has got to be after sales, because after sales means the products that we've got out there continue to work and build anticipation for when we're back online. So that was an insight in the BC process that the sales team were able to bring that finance and production just wouldn't have necessarily had that kind of that oversight on. Yeah, so really important to involve every part Ab of the business. Absolutely, yeah. 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 I mean, thinking about, you mentioned supply chains and obviously the, the case study was very much geared around to supply chain. Um, and given the sort of the recent presses on supply chains from sort of global events, um, should supply chain sort of pretty much always be part of your business continuity sort of yeah. management and plan? Yeah, absolutely. And perhaps a plan, you know, my preferred process is deal with supply chain, you know, break supply chain out as a separate plan, as a, you know, make it a smaller chunk to eat. But but most certainly, and if you look at the way that supply chain management has evolved over the last 20 years, it's been very much efficiency driven, it's been very much cost driven, um, you know, so we've gone heavily to just in time. And, and, and that's because there's an absence of kind of risk management or resilience management within the supply chain discipline. So that's why we're now beginning to see, you know, just in time being not replaced by but mixed with just in case strategies um and um and people going okay well we sold single sole supply now just doesn't work you know we, we cannot make those assumptions around the way that the, the global globally global trade operates so un well, unquestionably okay. so i suppose if you, you say just in case that an example of just in case would be trying to develop buffer stocks of components, raw materials. That's absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. So ju ju just in cases, how, how do I, you know, you know, how do I can, can I increase my tolerance for disruption by having more stock? And actually, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be in the premises. In fact, it should be away from the premises. Yeah. So, so again, one company I work with uh, at the back end of last year, they were they actually effectively created a buffer stock that they could use in the event of a business disruption with their resellers, and they built it into. Um, their kind of their reseller agreement so the, the, there's other ways that when you begin to think about resilience from a commercial perspective you can begin to in, build it into the commercial model the, the company that i mentioned about after sales just a moment ago one of the things that was immediately going through their minds well actually what we need to do is we need to go back and revisit our supplier agreement so that they will hold x months worth of of after sales supplies so that they can guarantee you know that's what they have to do if they want to sign up as a supplier of our product yeah so it, it very very rapidly becomes a commercial application because it is ultimately about delivering your product and service yeah i think because supply chain is so current and so topical i think it let's let's have another quick poll um this will be the last poll um so who who in the audience has experienced supply chain disruption in the last 12 months So, okay, 40% yes. So that, that could reflect just the nature of the businesses that, that you, you, you guys are operating in, perhaps. Okay. Okay. Um, so I think that sort of finally, Steve, really, is, is, it, is, it, is do you have any top tips really to, 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 out, to the guys out there about how, we can, how you can start the process? Yeah, I mean, so tolerance for disruption, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I will mention that again because it it really is the um, it really is the one thing that helps. It doesn't just help you understand what the organisation needs to achieve, but if you've got the right people in the room, it creates the engagement amongst um, the leadership team of the business, which is really critical if you're going to make BC work. So tolerance for disruption engagement from the leadership team um, and by virtue of that bc not being left to one individual so they're probably the three things that i would say are the you know there would be my top tips there's some other more um there's some other more sorry about the banging there there's some other more <laughs> detailed elements but i think those are the three things get get the ownership uh, within the organization have a project team to deal with it but it has to be anchored on that tolerance for disruption that that's that is what it's there to avoid yeah brilliant i think um you becom have have produced um a sort of a brief document entitled nine steps yep to business continuity which um i think what we're going to do is make that available to to everyone everyone who's attended um we'll send that out um because that may be of interest if anyone who's, yeah. who's who's thinking of starting the process. 
Um, so on to questions. Have, have, have we got any questions that have come into the into the chat? Got a question uh, from Liam. Um, how often sh should I review my BCP? Um, as, as a minimum, Liam, I would recommend uh, every 12 months. Um, if you think how much a business changes uh, in, in the course of a year, your, your BC needs to reflect um, what your, you know, what your organization's objectives uh, and needs are uh, as, a, as, a, as a commercial entity. So I would say every 12 months, but perhaps to go alongside that is the kind of the, the other issue of um, sort of the, the, the testing of the BC. So what I, what I would also add is that people often talk about, oh, you need to have a testable BCP. Well, testing is two elements. One is testing the incident response. So if we had to use this in anger, do we all know what we're doing? But more importantly, if you, if you design a BCP and you, you put in place a, a lot of arrangements that deliver that kind of day-to-day -day resilience for you if you need to deploy them, is actually checking that those arrangements are in place. You know, don't just assume that the data backups are working test them you know don't just assume that your um the uh, a supplier is is keeping the um is keeping the, the you know the, the the duplicate tooling away from the area where the, the you know the the, the 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 primary tooling is being used so it's about kind of making sure that you test it all those different elements on, on an ongoing basis so hopefully that answers your question I guess as well, Liam, any major changes in the organization, that's the time to review the BCP. So. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, Liam, for the question. Uh, any more for any more? No. Okay. So as we don't appear to have any more questions, um, let's sort of wrap up the session. Steve, um, many thanks for your time um, and for your insights into business continuity and resilience. Um, also, thanks to everyone for attending. Hopefully, uh, you found it enlightening and interesting, and you now have a little bit more knowledge around business continuity and, and, and the process by which you need to go through. As I said, we will be sending out the nine steps um, to business continuity that Steve's um, organization has put together. Um, obviously, if we have piqued your interest and you want to have a a bit more of a discussion or a meeting around business continuity. You can put that um, your details in your feedback form, and we will be in touch to to set that up. Um, similarly, um, if there are any other topics you'd like us to cover in future webinars, whether it's health and safety, business continuity, or anything risk related for that matter, please put that on the feedback form, um, and we'll uh, we'll try and get something together on on, on those topics. Okay, I think that's 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 we're done for the, for for this session. So thank you all again for attending. Thank you, Steve. Um, enjoy the rest of your day, uh, and goodbye. Thank you. Bye bye.